Hello, and welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty, and I am your host and also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And I am very excited for this expert episode that we have today with our guest, Anthony, who is an attorney. Anthony, I will let you do your introduction and pronounce your last name because I will butcher it. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara. I appreciate that. Um, my name is Anthony Aminovich. Um, it's a long-winded last name, so anyone feel free to ask, uh, pronounce my name as Anthony. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, I have a law office uh, in Kingston, uh, Ulster County, but also a second office in Poughkeepsie. And uh, my area uh, of practice uh, involved trust and estates and uh, elder law. Wonderful. And so I had asked to do this episode because if you haven't watched it already, I would recommend, but on Netflix, the movie, I Care A Lot, I watched it and I was absolutely terrified, um, as was my boyfriend. And so I thought this would be a great episode to talk about it because I did some research after and talked to you. And that is minus the gangster portion of the movie. Um, it's something that could happen in real life. Um, and for those of you who haven't watched it, basically, it's about a con woman who uh, takes over people's estates um, as she's appointed um, a guardian for those without. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you what, watching it, it was a thrill a minute. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's something that we all need to be uh, uh, familiar with, but also treat with a pinch of salt, um, because there are a, a lot of protections in place when it comes to the guardians. Um, and guardianship procedure, especially in New York. Um, so I know that people have asked me about the film and whether I've seen it, and uh, I'm gonna make it very clear to everyone out there that I only recently saw uh, the movie and I was highly entertained. Um, but the question of whether something like that can happen uh, is a very real question. And Barbara, to answer that question, yes, it could happen. Whether it does happen though is, uh, is, is I would say it's probably the exception than the rule, no doubt. But what, what about outside of New York? Because we have listeners from all over. So I know New York has a lot of protections in place. So is it more likely to maybe happen in another state where there are less protections? I think that where you come across a state where there are less protections, the likelihood of something like this happening will be a lot higher. Um, guardianship is primarily based on state law. And with state law, there are various strict procedures put in place. So it wouldn't surprise me if there are strict laws that are put in place which prevent this kind of uh, situation arising. But I certainly know for sure that New York is one of those states that will bend over backwards to make sure that the ward, uh, uh, wonderfully played by, I think it was Diane West actually, um, uh, uh, will be protected regardless. And just so for people who, who don't understand, because I know we kind of jumped right into it, a guardian is appointed by the state in an, in an event where they don't have one, or when would you see that scenario actually play out in real life? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, sorry, I, I, I've been meaning to start with what the guardian uh, is about. Now, it, it, it primarily is saying, hey, look, if you don't have the ability to make those decisions yourself, then you will have a person appointed to make those decisions uh, on your behalf. Um, now, that's done through a guardianship, or it can also be done through more informal means, such as a healthcare proxy or a power of attorney. So in, in essence, what you're saying is, uh, is that a third person will be that person to step into your shoes and make those decisions on your behalf if 
and only if you are unable to do so yourself. Understood. So a healthcare proxy and or a power of attorney is something that could help prevent this because then you've already basically instead of the court coming in and saying oh we don't see anybody assigned we'll assign someone if you have those documents then you've already chosen who you would want assigned yeah although i'll be contrary on that particular point and say that i think you're more likely to have the i care a lot scenario apply when there is a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy as opposed to a guardianship because um in particular in New York, I mean, there's really not much by way of oversight with regards to what your agent can and cannot do uh, under a power of attorney uh, or a healthcare proxy. You're simply leaving it in the hands of someone who you appoint under your documents. Now, with a guardianship, uh, you have checks and balances. You have uh, the guardian who has to uh, ultimately report to the court as to their actions. They would typically uh, have to present an accounting um, so there is an awful lot of oversight. So with regards to abuse, I think you're more likely to see that in the power of attorney and healthcare proxy scenario than you would with the guardianship. So what would you recommend then if you were watching this movie and terrified? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> what I would recommend, um, I would always recommend the least restrictive approach, not least yeah. because if you make a guardianship application, then one of the things that a judge will look for is whether there is already a prior power of attorney and or a healthcare proxy in place, um, and whether the agent under the power of attorney and the healthcare proxy is doing a good job, so to speak. Okay. Um, if so, then there's no need for guardianship because we have a power of attorney and healthcare proxy in place. So. And that is because the guardianship approach is a very restrictive measure. Courts are hesitant mm -hmm. to ultimately remove the rights of an individual to um, have their own say. You know, we're talking about freedom of thought, freedom of speech. That's all being removed. These are constitutional issues that are being addressed in the court. So you would always prefer a power of attorney rather than having to go down the road of guardianship. Now, that said, if you are going to utilize a power of attorney, you absolutely must make sure that the agent involved, um, who you appoint under your power of attorney, you trust to do the right thing because you're asking this person to make those decisions in the event that you're not able to yourself. So if you have someone who could be that person, then the power of attorney is the thing to do as well as the healthcare proxy. I do get worried myself when a client wants to name uh, uh, an agent as the power of attorney, but then starts raising red flags as to the appropriateness of that appointment. That's when I start to think, well, maybe the guardianship would be the best way forward in this instance. Um, but if the power of attorney, uh, I know so in, more so in New York, if you have a power of attorney, you can also name a moderator, someone who can see what's going on with the agent essentially be a third party to make sure that everything is above board um, and that uh, everything's moving on nicely as the intention uh, under the power of attorney is. So, you know, there are various things to think about and everyone's different, but ultimately what you're looking for is an agent uh, or a guardian for that matter to be uh, uh, someone who has your best interests at heart. And so if we're, if we're kind of breaking down the differences, the guardian would be somebody who would do everything for you, right? And then that one has more checks and balances if you, if you choose it yourself. 
And then, and then the power of attorney is somebody who ha can make financial decisions for you. And then the healthcare proxy is somebody who can make healthcare decisions. Is that? Well, as, as a lawyer, I'm going to say it depends. Okay. <laughs> and that, that is, um, with the guardianship, it depends on what you're looking for. If the individual uh, requires just full support, then in New York, you would invoke uh, a, a petition uh, and, and, and petition the court for full guardianship over the individual's personal uh, affairs as well as property. So that's both their personal welfare, but also their property and finances, such as assets, real estate, etc. Now, that's one type of guardianship. There are other types of guardianships um, where you can just, have a guardianship. Just, just to note, that's what happened in the movie. She was, the woman was appointed full guardianship. So control over property, finances, and well-being. That's correct, yeah. And she was, that's where you have carte blanche to do whatever, okay? <laughs> but there are other, other types of guardianships which needs to be known about. And that's, you can have a guardianship for a very specific situation. Um, for example, uh, I'm currently working on a Medicaid application whereby we want um, uh, to utilize um, uh, a type of strategy for spousal refusal. Now, there is no power of attorney in place, and the person who's in the nursing home has become mentally uh, incapable. So we've actually gone uh, and petitioned the court to get uh, an order for guardianship solely for the reason of being able to transfer that person's assets to the spouse so that they can then utilize spouse refusal um, by way of Medicaid application. So guardianship is wide ranging. It can be for everything as per the movie or it can be very limited. Um, so, you know, it depends on what the situation is. With the power of attorney, you mentioned earlier on, um, whether it's about finances, it is primarily about finances here in New York. I know in other states, uh, the power of attorney and the healthcare proxy can be combined. But here in New York, the power of attorney is an individual form which allows an agent to make uh, financial decisions. And the healthcare proxy is a separate form which allows an agent to make healthcare decisions. So that's the distinction between those two forms. Okay. Um, and so obviously we can't make a recommendation, it would just depend. But what would you see, so this is all, coming back to what I like to call estate planning. Some people always assume estate planning um, is only if you are uber wealthy and it really isn't. I mean, this, this, with this type of estate planning, you're just preventing a future potential problem. And it has maybe in the movie, it has a lot to do with her finances, but it could just be your, your well-being in, in certain scenarios. So what do you think is the biggest, or what do you see as one of the biggest mistakes people make in this area? Well, I think that 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 uh, that question lends itself to a very obvious answer, and the obvious answer being by not doing anything at all. That's the worst thing that can be done. Um, if you leave, and you know, the funny thing is, this is even if you do nothing at all, you actually have an estate plan. It's just it's the state that tells you what that plan is, and so there you go. But more often than not, that plan is not going to meet with what your wishes and needs are. Um, I can think of numerous occasions whereby a family had come to me and said, oh, I wish mom or dad or brother or sister or spouse or whoever uh, has said, oh, I wish they had done this at this time, but didn't do it. Um, no soon, it, it, everybody needs an estate plan 
in the form of what's put in writing. Now, I was just thinking of an example just the other day where I had a couple who came in, um, late 20s, not, not super rich, you know, there's the assets to go by, but, but not what you would expect to accumulate by the time you reach your 60s, 70s or 80s. Now, they have a child. So here in New York, the only way that you can get your point to the judge in terms of saying, hey, I want this person to be the guardian of my child is through your last will and testament. So for that very reason, they need an estate plan and they're in their late 20s. It's not exactly when you're retired. Mm -hmm. um, so that's equally as important as someone who's maybe in their 60s or 70s who has significant wealth and, and are seeking to maybe reduce taxation or to avoid probate and they need estate planning. So we need estate planning right across the board. So the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. Well, you bring up a very good point because we're talking about a guardian in regards to when you're getting older and, and being taken advantage of. But if you're younger and you have children and you haven't appointed, you don't have a last will and testament and you haven't done a guardianship provision in there stating who you want your child to be taken care of by, God forbid something happens, the state decides, correct? Well, yeah, it would boil down ultimately to what the judge thinks. So the judge will obviously think uh, about what's in the best interests of the child, but that might not necessarily meet with what your wishes are because maybe you have more of an understanding of that particular individual that the judge is appointing. So that's problematic to say the least, but yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, the, the only way to point out to a judge who you want to be the guardian of your children would be uh, through your last will and testament. And that's a really key point to, to, to note. That applies to New York. I'm pretty certain it applies across the board in the US, although um, I know uh, in one or two other states that is the case. But New York most definitely is the last one in testament. Now, another way in which you can protect your children as well through a last will and testament is by incorporating a testamentary trust into your will, saying if both myself and my spouse should pass away, that we want our funds left to our children, but to be held in trust up until they reach a certain age. And the funds are managed by what's called a trustee. Mm -hmm. Now that trustee is the equivalent of a guardian, just looking after and managing those funds for the benefit of the child. So again, that's utilized under a last will and testament or a revocable trust or any other kind of trust mm -hmm. vehicle. Um, but again, it just emphasizes my point about how estate planning is not just for the seniors with assets, but for those uh, who are young as well, as, as well as healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and I would like to point out, so you could assign in your last will and testament, um, if you have children, who you want to care for the children, and then you could appoint a separate person for who you want to care for the money for the children. Because oftentimes somebody who might be good at caring for the children might not be the person you want to take over the control of the assets for the children. That's correct. And in addition to that, we're only talking about what should happen should one pass away. But what about what should happen if one should become mentally incapable? You can have a separate form to say, look, should I become mentally and or physically incapable? I wish to appoint whomever as my uh, as the guardian to my children. Now that will carry equal weight as well if it ever went to court. So it's not just about what should happen on death, but estate planning also encompasses planning during your lifetime. Right, and so right now, what we're with this scenario we're talking about is just planning for if you have children and they're minors. It doesn't have anything to do with any assets, right? Because you you could still be appointing people to take care of your children, and maybe there are no assets for the children, or maybe there's just a house, and you don't think about that as part of your net worth. So you could have 
really no money, right, and still need this estate planning technique to prevent a future problem for your children should you become incapable or pass away. Absolutely. And that, that, that is a, an excellent uh, way of putting it, Barbara. You've really honed in on exactly what I'm trying to say here. You need an estate planning document for any walk of life, yeah. be it someone who's uh, just had children to someone who is um, you know, generating wealth in their 40s and their 50s, to someone who is in their 60s and thinking about maybe retirement planning, to someone in their 70s and 80s who at that point tend to start thinking about, okay, let's, how, how are we going to best protect our assets so that we can pass it down to, to generations below? So yeah, right. right across the board. Most people, when you get what I see a lot with retirement planning is once you get to that age and you've accumulated a nice net worth and you did everything right, the last thing you want to do is see your money not go to people you want it to go to, whether that's the probate court or the IRS or wherever it is that you, you know, you want it to go to the people you assign or the charities that you've chosen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, uh, you don't need to have an awful lot of money to, 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 to fall foul of the, the rules, especially in New York with Medicaid. Um, you might have a nest egg that you've worked hard for. You might have generated $300,000 and you want to make sure that you, your hard, uh, hard work throughout the course of your lifetime is left to, to your children. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that individual might end up in a nursing home because of ill health. And guess what? In the area that uh, I practice in, it's the average cost for nursing home stay is 16,000. So a that can blow I just want to, a month, it's 16,000 a month. You would have to earn to actually have 16,000 in the bank, depending on your tax bracket. You would need to earn somewhere around 20 to 22,000 on a paycheck monthly to pay for $16,000, which is insane. It's insane. It is insane. It's insane. But again, like the, the point being is that you can be in your 70s and 80s and not feel like you have enough assets, but you still need that estate plan because guess what? The assets you have will go very quickly if you end up in a nursing home or require a home care. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, and the, when I first started in practice, I would say eight years ago, that, that number I want to say was around 10,000. Oof, yeah, well, it's, I'd it's, like to say inflation, but I don't know. <laughs> I know, yeah, scary. And, that, and most people don't want to be spending 16000 on a nursing home. So right there, if you have 300000 or your parent, because I'd like to point out, if you're listening, I think it's always a good question to ask what your parents' plan is. Because if your parents don't have a plan, it's going to force you to come up with a plan. Because ultimately, yeah. if something happens to a parent, and I've already been through it in my family, not with a parent, but with a single aunt, that came on my sister and I to, mm. to do all of the caregiving. And uh, I was in charge, the executor, my sister was healthcare proxy because she was closer to the nursing home facility. And it mm. all came down on us. And fortunately, we had a plan. We knew my sister was a healthcare proxy. We knew that I was in charge of the estate and you know doing all that paperwork. But if you don't have a plan in place, it's not, the time to be making one isn't when the, your parent falls ill. No, no. No, absolutely. And, you know, it, 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 it would also I'd go one step further and, and in light of my morning meeting today where uh, I spoke to a client who had said to me that her parents, her in-laws, in fact, had irrevocable trusts in place um, and that they were prepared by, uh, by a bankruptcy attorney. And I kind of sat there and I thought, oh, I wonder what kind of irrevocable trusts these are, because you've got to be careful. Yeah. Uh, with the type of attorney that you choose when it comes to preparing these 
these types of paperwork because we're all attorneys that work in different areas of the law and for example my area of law is as i mentioned is estate planning um, is uh, long-term care planning so my powers of attorneys and wills and trusts are going to be geared towards that side of things whereas i'm not so sure a bankruptcy attorney would have the same um, uh, way of thinking um, but in any event the point i'm trying to make here is that if you do have documents in place just make sure that those who prepared it um, is uh, has been well vetted and uh, knows what they're talking about because this is an ever-changing area of the law and it's so important as you know, Barbara, to stay on top of these things. Um, so that's what I feel like I've done. And I know for sure that you do that. That's, uh, that's to our clients' benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want somebody with the specialty that you're looking for, because I'm going to bring up a big change right before we end the episode that's coming potentially down the pipeline. But I would say it radically changes. As I mentioned, the price has changed dramatically since I've been in practice. And there are different law changes and regulation changes, I would say, annually going on with this. And I would like to also point out for anyone listening who's thinking, oh, wow, I really need to sit down with my parents. And I think it's super important. And it's not about saying, okay, I want to get your assets if you pass away. It's more about protecting them and making sure their wishes are accomplished and making sure you have a team approach um, when you're talking to your parent. And the other thing I would like to point out that you probably see all the time when you mentioned a bankruptcy attorney doing elder law, <laughs> something I see all the time is people get trust. A trust is a piece of paper until it's funded. And I often look at the back of the trust document and it lists assets and the list is zero. There's nothing mm -hmm. in it. So the yep. person, you know, essentially got, they normally say, well, I went to, I got a free steak dinner and then I bought a trust. <laughs> you did not get, you did not get a free steak dinner. You bought a $3,000 piece of paper that is not funded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's actually a very important point you raised there. If you have a trust, you've got to make sure that that trust is funded correctly because it's not worth the paper it's, uh, it's, it's printed on, unfortunately. Um, I think, if I'm right in remembering Michael Jackson's estate, I think it was. It was something like a revocable trust that wasn't funded. I think 80% was left in his name, and what do we have? A free-for-all with everybody. So everyone's fighting over assets that weren't in the trust. So... Yeah, the moral of the story is if you do a trust, make sure you fund it correctly because it's not worth the paper it's written on. <laughs> and so you want to work with an attorney who's going to explain that to you. I will also say another terrifying thing I saw is I saw in a trust that was done by a client, once again, one of these, I will call them trust mills. You go to the dinner, they talk about one specific type of trust typically, and then everybody at that dinner is going to be recommended the same trust. But it's free. So that should be your first red flag. There is no <laughs> thing is free when they're serving you steak dinners. Yeah. Um, the other thing I've seen come out of those dinners is where the backup um, trustee or executor is actually the firm itself, which is mm. fine if that's the choice of the client. But I had it happen to a client who had was unaware that the lawyer's wife was the one as the backup. Yep, as as have I. And uh, in fact, I'm dealing on another estate now where uh, a firm, I think, uh, 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 appointed themselves, so to speak. So you have to be careful with that. And now I'm dealing with having them removed so we can administer the trust estate as a result. So it goes on. It goes on. I mean, we talk about I care a lot and we talk about guardianship issues, but there is this level of abuse that does go on in other realms such as with trusts you see that people appoint themselves and why would they appoint themselves well because then they can take a commission can't they? Ask that commission why is quite they do juicy. That. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, I think in New York, it's 1% per year, um, which might not sound much to $100, but certainly builds up if there's $1,000 and $100,000, then 1% is an awful lot per year. So think about that. Think about that. Yeah. Which, which brings me back to the, um, we'll kind of summarize and do one little change that we can talk about because it's, I feel like a very relevant topic, but it's why it's so important to get referrals and to work on a team. Um, mm -hmm. Anthony, and I, Anthony and I work a lot as a team and go back and forth, making sure that all areas are covered. Um, so it's important to get the referrals and then um, make sure it feels comfortable to you. Because I think one thing is usually in your gut, it'll tell you if it doesn't feel like the right fit. Absolutely. And, and, and I can't uh, uh, emphasize your point that the, the holistic approach is quite clearly the best approach. And, you know, I lean, as you know, I lean heavily on you with regards to your thoughts. And I know that you lean heavily with me uh, and my thoughts. So that, that ultimately is designed to make sure that our clients are best served um, because there are areas that I don't know about that I want Barbara's input on and, and, and vice versa. You know, we're, we're, we all specialize in specific area. Now, you bring all that together and you have something um, that the client needs and it's going to benefit that client going forward. So I can't strongly uh, support your position there at all. It's, it's, it's a true point. Wonderful. And so as we mentioned, there's a lot of changes. So one really juicy topic that's going on right now is with Biden's proposal for the tax uh, law change. And we're not sure where exactly it stands and if it's going to get put through, but one um, big estate planning aspect that is on or potential to be changed is the stepped up in basis. Would you like to give our listeners a little? Yeah, the, 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 the talk there is that uh, we're looking at possibly um, removing the stepped up in basis. And th th it's important that we point out it is just talk at this moment in time. We haven't had anything confirmed. Um, but what that is, is ultimately it, it could ultimately uh, uh, result in the loss of a, a step up in basis as at the date of death, where an asset appreciates in value. And then when the individual passes away, the beneficiary then takes that asset as at the date of death value. That's called the step up in basis. Um, if that's removed, then the individual takes the asset for tax purposes as at the date that the predecessor who owned the asset, that being the person who passed away, first purchased the property or purchased the asset. So there could be a significant difference between when the asset was first purchased and then it, when it subsequently changes hands to the beneficiary. And that's what the individual will be taxed on. So that doesn't just apply to very wealthy people, that applies to everyone right across the board, everyone. We all have assets, however modest, and, uh, and, and that will apply to assets such as that. So you have a house that you buy, and then you, you subsequently sell the house, and it's going to appreciate that. You have stocks and shares that you purchase, and then you subsequently sell. That will appreciate that ultimately. It might go up, it might go down, but we know ultimately it will go up. And that's the appreciation we're talking about. Now, the removal of the step up and basis means that the person receiving will be taxed on the difference between the date you first purchase the asset and when the beneficiary uh, subsequently sells. And that would be a big, big change. But again, we don't know if it's going to be put in place. It's just what's, uh, what seems to be the talk of town at the moment. Yeah. And, and, and just to give some numbers to it. So for instance, if you have a parent who worked for ABC company and they spent $10,000 to buy ABC stock and now your parent passes away and ABC stock is worth 150000 if you were to inherit it today under current tax laws and 
the date of death, the value is 150,000. On the day you sell it, it was worth 151,000. You would have $1,000 worth of gains. If this new proposal, we don't know, it's a proposal, if it were to go through and that same scenario would happen, your basis in that stock would be $10,000. So you would have $141,000 worth of gain, which is a significant difference. And so this is something that we see a lot with estate planning that's very advantageous for all people, um, that they're able to inherit money from relatives, family, and have little tax consequences and are able to use that to better their own situation. So we will, we will keep you apprised of that, but that's just one big potential change that we're seeing just this year. And so I think it just really drives the home the point that it's so important to work with a professional if you need, and we talked about, I think everyone needs to work with a professional, you know, all walks of life could use estate planning, but why it's important to have someone who specializes in that area so they're up to date on all the, the rule changes. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, there are other things that are being discussed as well as we discussed um, in connection with the state tax threshold and the reduction of that uh, to three and a half million. Currently, it's 11 million plus. I mean, that's a big difference. Um, yeah, three and a half million is, uh, is still an awful lot uh, of money that don't uh, a lot of the public won't have, but there are people who I deal with quite frequently who will have that amount of money. So they'll need planning as well. Um, so we'll start and, to see and for, changes. For all of our listeners, the goal of this podcast is that you're future rich, and that's a seven-figure future rich number. So you could all be in that threshold. <laughs> yes, that's the goal. That's the goal, absolutely. And we'll start to see changes. And uh, no doubt Barbara and myself will keep you apprised as to uh, what changes need to be made in order to make sure that uh, you see the benefits of, of, of what hard work you put in. Perfect. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, Barbara, it was an absolute pleasure. I was really excited to, to be asked to join us. So thank you so much. And we will link your website um, and office information when we air this episode. And for all of our lovely listeners, thank you for listening. And you can follow us on Instagram, Future Rich Podcast, for our most up-to-date information and for our free online classes in partnership with SUNY Ulster. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.